0: Hello everyone, welcome to the IPA Board of Pharmacy What, Why, and How podcast, where we bring you what actions the board took today at the meeting, why they took these actions, and how this affects your practice. I am Casey Fisek from IPA. I've got Sue Mears with me here from the Board of Pharmacy. Thank you, Sue, for joining us. Certainly today uh, is the second day of the board of pharmacy meeting actually so a two-part meeting um, yesterday the board considered proposed rules uh, adoptions and notices um, they also discussed a little bit about um, some potential legislation that might come forward this year so we can touch on that later um, but i thought it might be helpful sue if we just briefly discussed um, the rulemaking process in general And Uh, I know some of our listeners might have heard this before, but it it can be, uh, I think, a little difficult for um, most people to understand just what that process is. And so it might be helpful if we do a a little refresher exactly on what maybe proposed notice means versus a proposed adoption and and how the Board of Pharmacy sort of um, fulfills the role of enacting legislation, I guess.
1: Yeah, certainly. So um, the Board considers potential changes to the rules um, from a variety of Sources. So it may come from new legislation that the uh, legislature passes and the governor signs, or it may be simply a request from a licensee um, or a member of the public, or you know, it can come from really anywhere, um, even including our own compliance staff sometimes. Um, so the first step is for the Rules Committee to take a look at any proposed changes to rules. And the Rules Committee is comprised of board compliance staff a few board staff um, and then three board members, usually all pharmacist members. Um, And then so the rules committee takes a look at the proposed um, change to rules and if they feel that it's something that should move forward, um, then they would direct me to draft um, some specific language and then we put that to the full board at a regular meeting during open session. Um, and at that point if the board feels that that's something that should move forward then they would direct me to file that um, with the rules management system and that is what it becomes a proposed notice of intended action so that is saying that the board intends to take action on this rule Um, so we file that and once it is published in the administrative rules bulletin it immediately becomes open for public comment Um, and rulemaking proposed rulemaking is open for public comment for 20 days so it's a pretty short window Um, and then during that time the board also is expected to um, provide a copy of that rulemaking to the governor's office for their review Um, and then also we present that rulemaking to a group of legislators, the Administrative Rules Review Committee, and that's a group of 10 legislators, and they have an opportunity um, also to take a look at that rulemaking and, and ask any questions or express any concerns that they may have with that rulemaking. So then, once the comment period is over, then the board, um, via its Rules Committee, will take a look at any comments that were received. From the public or from interested parties and stakeholders or from the governor's office or the administrative rules review committee Um, And then they decide if they're going to take any action or make any changes to that rulemaking based on those comments Um, And then they will then direct me to draft um, Language to present then to the full board um, For adopted language so if they feel like this is good to keep moving this forward and we want to make this permanent, um, then we'll go ahead and propose to the full board um, final language. And if the board approves that, then I will file that with the rulemaking, uh, with the in the rulemaking system, and that's when it becomes adopted. Um, so we file that adopted language and then once it is published in the administrative rules bulletin um, then it becomes effective 35 days after the date it was published. So,
0: so, and then in, you know after <laughs> it is
1: after it is filed for adoption, then we again have to present that rulemaking to the Administrative Rules Review Committee of the legislators um, to explain any changes that were made during uh, the rulemaking process. So, start to finish that whole process takes about six months, so So, rulemaking is time-consuming. The the
0: big thing I'm hearing is that there's lots of oversight, first and foremost, from the legislature, the governor's office. But I think important for everyone listening, too, is how many opportunities there are for you as a member of the public and as a pharmacist to provide input if you would so like to, whether that's public comment or attending um, the Board of Pharmacy meeting or the Administrative Rules Review Committee. There's generally an opportunity for public comment at, at all of those junctures. And-
1: absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the board would accept comments on any rulemaking at any time. It's just a matter of the timing of it. If it can um, be, you know, once the board has yes. already adopted something, then then it would kind of start the whole right. rulemaking process over again if there was a new comment. But certainly the board will accept comments yeah. at any time.
0: Well. That's a perfect segue, I think, now that we have the process reviewed again, to jump right into the proposed adoption and filings that the board did at uh, today's board meeting. And so, um, right off the bat, I see that there was a proposed adoption and filing to amend Chapter 2 pharmacist licenses. Now, I know uh, there's been a little bit of information put out um, regarding what these changes entail, specifically around... Mandatory reporter training, I know, which might be useful for I think pharmacists to be uh, up to date on and understand what these changes do and how they impact um, what training they need.
1: Right. So, in the 2019, legislature, um, the legislature passed House File 731, and the governor signed that, which made some changes to the mandatory reporter training requirements. And so, it uh, requires. Um, repeated training every three years. You have to have received training within six months of your initial employment. Um, And it no longer allows a combination training for child and adult abuse training. Um, So that has to be separate training programs. And so everything that the board um, all the changes that the board made in their rulemaking mirror what is in the House file. Right,
0: and this applied yeah. to across the board.
1: Yeah, right? any yes. any any practitioner in the state of Iowa that is subject to mandatory reporter training um, has all these same requirements. Right. And, yep.
0: um, from my understanding, if you had already qualified, I guess what I'm trying to say is the legislation, the rules didn't change the qualifications or requirements of whether or not you are a mandatory reporter right but however the content of the training uh, and the requirements have changed yeah but that yeah, is that a proper correct. summary
1: yeah yeah I think yeah okay
0: so if, if you do know that you qualify as a mandatory reporter um, be on the lookout for this rule and, and uh, if you have any questions feel free to contact uh, IPA or the Board of Pharmacy regarding um, what those changes might be to the training uh, requirements.
1: Yeah, and I'll just I'll make note too that the training um, they're requiring, and I want to say it's the Public Health Department yes. to provide a training. So that uh, if it's not already Department of Human
0: Services, is I it? Think. I, yes. And
1: I don't recall which. Um, yes. So it's one Iowa um, entity um, department that is required to provide that training, and it will be no charge. Okay. So don't be out there looking for abuse training that you have to pay for when it, what they require is through the state of Iowa, but it's free.
0: Gotcha. Okay, well, I think that's really helpful, Sue. The next adoption and filing... Um is related to Chapter 13 and telepharmacy practice. Now, could you walk us a little bit uh, through what the board did in, in this proposed rulemaking?
1: Certainly. So, um, again, this is an adoption. So, it will once it's filed and published, it will become effective. Um, so, these amendments allow uh, the pharmacist in charge at a managing pharmacy to identify a separate pharmacist to serve as the pick. At the telepharmacy site Um, it's not required Um, the the pharmacist in charge at the managing pharmacy certainly can choose to also be the pick at the telepharmacy site but this rule would allow them to identify somebody else if they would like to do that Um, it would require that the telepharmacy site pick be employed by the managing pharmacy and also then to be identified on the pharmacy license at the telepharmacy site It allows the training of telepharmacy technicians at the managing pharmacy, or it can be completed at another pharmacy which uses the same AV technology system. And then finally, it requires the display at the telepharmacy site of the original pharmacy um, or the pharmacist license of the PIC and then the current license renewal certificate of the PIC and any pharmacy who may provide counseling to patients at the telepharmacy site be posted.
0: Okay. So uh, quite a few changes contained there. So yeah. you, I don't, and I don't know if you know the answer to this or not. The background behind this, was this intended um, to simplify some things to make it a little bit easier regarding some of the training or? Um,
1: a combination. Yeah. Easier to provide training. Uh, we've had requests from uh, various pharmacies um, to, you know, to see if they could train their technicians right. at other locations. And then as far as the PIC, um you know it's it's also come to the board's attention that it might in certain circumstances be better for it to be a separate person to be picked at the two different sites
0: gotcha so this is you can kind of look at this as the board had probably received some uh, requests at some point mm-hmm. learned from those experiences yeah. and then made a change so yeah. gotcha well that thank you that's very helpful uh, really quickly too uh, part of the agenda was also discussion and a vote on proposed legislation this year um, and I, I thought there were some very interesting pieces in the board's uh, proposed practice act uh, legislation. Some, um, a little bit of everything, but I think all very positive pieces. Um, one of those I, I know included some things around emergency dispensing that had popped up last year. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you want to touch on anything else that was included in there, and uh, we can uh, we can move through it fairly fast here. But I know yeah. there was some. Just some interesting things.
1: Yeah, I think some of the, I'll just, I won't go over all of them, but, yeah. you know, one, I think that's um, an important thing that if, if we can get through is relating to technician registration, um, and it's looking to allow, um, the, to remove the restriction of a one-year technician trainee registration and to allow the board to designate in rule what an appropriate length of time. Um, Sometimes, you know, we've had technicians who struggle to get certified within that year. um, So it would be maybe nice if we had a little bit more flexibility on that. Um, There's a section here that the board's looking to maybe allow for pharmacy support persons to um, work at a telepharmacy site. Uh, So that might be helpful. Prescription adaptation, I think, would be something that would be very helpful for pharmacies, Um, so it's a section that would allow pharmacists to make simple adaptations to a prescription um, in order to uh, meet the intent of the prescriber, but yet um, clean up the prescription, um, such as for a quantity that's maybe not commercially available, to just change that prescription to what is commercially available. and, yep, emergency prescribing.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, I think those are kind of the, the bigger ticket items yeah. that are maybe of most interest. to people. Well, I,
0: I put Sue on the spot there to to walk us through that. and She did a great job, so thank you. <laughs> but uh, be on the lookout for that. I know the process is typically the board pre-files a bill um, toward, around Thanksgiving, yep, correct? Correct, so then. Yep. Um, that will be drafted by uh, the Legislative Services Agency, and yep. then will show up officially with their sort of mark of uh, approval or yep. you know official. Well,
1: hopefully, hopefully someone will pick it up yes. and move it
0: <laughs> Finally, this is uh, kind of a new thing that um, we've been considering for the podcast. But IPA and the board usually is, is getting questions around a certain topic or a certain issue, and thought it might be helpful to just use some time in the podcast to highlight. Um, possibly one of those topics or issues, if there is a sort of uh, a big one that's going on, and, and then use this opportunity to really try to highlight it or explain it. And I know one that has kind of been a long saga, especially if you look at the rulemakings and then um, trying to make sure that pharmacists understand what's going on, is around the, the current immunization laws. And so I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with the statewide protocol legislation that passed two years ago, um, and if you've been providing uh, immunizations prior to that, it was under a local protocol. Sue, do you want to walk us through where we stand right now with um, our current immunization laws and how pharmacists can provide immunizations under both of those? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So currently, as the law stands, a pharmacist can enter into Um, A physician signed protocol for immunizations with a you know any Iowa licensed practitioner right so that you can provide immunizations to anyone that walks in your pharmacy and it's under the order of that prescriber that has signed your protocol so dr. Smith whatever Um, the other option is to provide immunizations under the Board of Pharmacy statewide protocol Um, so this covers all immunizations that are allowed by CDC And when you immunize under that protocol, then the pharmacist who is selecting that um, drug product, that vaccine becomes the practitioner or the prescriber or the ordering practitioner, whatever term (laughs) you want to use that is politically correct, um, becomes the provider. And so if you are operating um, immunizing under the board's protocol and you submit a claim to the patient's third party, then you're putting your name as the provider or the prescriber. Um, And so you have those two options right now, um, but the law relating to physician signed protocols is set to expire um, on June 30, 2020. So come July 1, 2020, your only option for immunizing Um, will be under the board's statewide protocol unless you had a patient-specific prescription from a prescriber. Um, So I think what pharmacists need to be making sure they're doing now to prepare for next summer um, and beyond is to seek out an NPI um, provider number so that you are capable of uh, transmitting claims to
0: patients
1: um, from third-party providers.
0: um, I know there had been some questions too regarding uh, Medicaid, ensuring that their rules are up to date. Uh, if if I was a pharmacist right now, from what we have been told, there, there should be an informational letter coming soon from Medicaid that will outline that process, and you can begin that process well before that June 30th date. Um, that way you're ready when um, the old law does expire to begin um, providing immunizations under Medicaid pursuant to the statewide protocol law. So be on the lookout for that as well. But thank you, Sue. That's yeah. very helpful, I think, to, to highlight those differences and some of the finer points. Well, that is all I have on our agenda for the podcast today. Thank you, Sue. Um, good luck with the rest of the meeting this <laughs> afternoon. I still see a pretty full agenda. Yeah. But uh, best of luck and thank you to everyone for listening today. As always, uh, feel free to reach out if you have any questions on anything you discussed. Otherwise, we will uh, look forward to hearing, or you can look forward to hearing from us again at the next Board of Pharmacy meeting. Thank you.